Good morning. Thank you so much for being here on this uh, Sunday before Christmas. It is just great to have you with us. If you are a, a guest with us, uh, please note inside the bulletin our upcoming events. And there's an outline of the message on the very back if that helps you. And whether you're here for the first time or you're here every single week, we always appreciate it if you fill out this Hey, I'm Here card. You can drop it in the baskets. It'll come around at the end of the service and note any prayer requests you have there. I really hope that all of you who are in town will join us tomorrow night here for one of our Christmas Eve services. Uh, we will have three of those, one at 4 p.m., one at 7.30, and one at 9 p.m. All three services will be uh, much the same, very traditional, traditional uh, Christmas carols, uh, very brief message, uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper, communion, and then candle lighting with Silent Night. Uh, we shoot for each of the services to be a little less than an hour, about 50 minutes or so. I will tell you, I think the 4 p.m. is likely to be the most crowded of all, and that service will likely go a little longer. It takes a longer to serve communion and candle lighting with more people. Uh, the 7.30 service will be a little more quiet than the 4 o'clock. The 9 p.m. will be the most quiet of all services. So children are welcome to come included in all of these, but just uh, want to kind of give you a heads up about those. But traditional services, all three of those. In the month of January, we are going to begin a four-week series of messages on guidance, discovering God's will for your life. So that is coming up soon. Uh, as well. But today we're continuing in our Advent study of Luke chapter 1. And I want to begin by reading the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. Reads this way. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing an account of these things that have happened, especially for his friend Theophilus. I love that name, Theophilus. It means lover of God. And so Luke is giving this account, an accurate historical account of of these things concerning the life of Jesus. And he begins the Gospel of Luke with an especially detailed account of the Christmas story, the Advent uh, narrative that we often consider at this time of year. And while it is an accurate historical record, I just want to remind you that it is much, much more. Because the Apostle Paul will later tell us that all Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God to teach us and to equip us, and to train us for life as followers of Jesus. All Scripture is given by God to give us hope, to give us encouragement. And so we've been looking this month at this first chapter, and we've been looking at, the, at a number of the key people involved. Uh, people like Mary and Joseph, key figures in the Advent narrative. This morning, I'd like to look at a person who's not often considered in the Advent Christmas stories. This is not someone that you will see 
in a nativity set or manger scene in your home. But it's a person whose presence is essential to everything that happens in the Christmas story. And the person I'm talking about is a real person, but not a human being. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, who is present throughout this narrative, throughout this record of uh, the Advent. The Holy Spirit goes by a number of different titles in Scripture. Sometimes simply he is, as in Luke chapter 1, many times, the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, he's called the Spirit of God, or simply the Spirit. Jesus referred to him as the Spirit of Truth. Jesus also described him as the Helper, or Comforter, or Counselor. There are a number of additional titles. He's sometimes called the Spirit of Christ. And his roles are varied but significant for uh, the work of God's kingdom. One of his, his roles is to convict us of sin before we're even Christians. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work in our lives to show us our need for God's forgiveness, to show us that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He convicts of sin. Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit will teach us the things of Christ. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will glorify him, that it's glorified Jesus. The Holy Spirit also serves to guide us in life, to comfort us when we need comfort. We go on and on and on. But as we look this morning at the role of the Holy Spirit in the Advent record of Scripture, the most important thing to know about Him by far is that He is God. He's not an impersonal force for good. He actually is God. If someone were to ask me, what do you think are the most essential beliefs of the Christian faith? Just those three or four things that are absolutely essential to being a Christian, the most important things to know. One of those would certainly be the doctrine or the biblical teaching of the Trinity. And while the, the understanding, the biblical understanding of the Trinity is essential, I'd say it is probably the least understood essential doctrine or teaching of the Christian faith. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the doctrine or teaching about the Trinity is found throughout Scripture. And I think we could define Trinity the way you see on the screen, that there is only one true God, and He exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God. Now, let's think about that definition just for a moment. There's only one true God. Christians do not worship three gods. We worship one God. From beginning to end of the Bible, Scripture is really clear. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And as God says, you shall have no other gods before me. But the one God, it's very clear from beginning to end in the Scripture, is God speaks in first person plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The one God exists eternally, that is, he always has and always will, 
as three distinct persons, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's not God showing up at different times in different roles, like one time He's the Holy Spirit, then one time He's Jesus. One time. No, it's not that at all. God is eternally three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that when Jesus is being baptized in water, the Father is speaking from heaven, the Spirit is coming upon Him in bodily shape like a dove. Each of them is fully God. Now, I understand it is, it seems impossible to wrap our finite human minds around God's existence as the Trinity. And throughout the history of the Christian church, this has been the case, but I want to tell you this belief, this understanding, this definition of the Trinity has been affirmed throughout the history of the church. But it's helped I think it has helped some over the years to view the, the visual image you'll see on the screen, this Trinity shield, to kind of uh, depict God the Trinity. You see in the center God, the one God. And you see the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And around the outer edge, you see that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, they're three distinct persons but each of whom is fully God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. How can we possibly wrap our minds around this? Well, I think if we human beings could fully understand in this life everything there is to know about God, well, our understanding, it's always going to fall short. He wouldn't be God if we could understand everything about Him. He's our Creator. But this, I believe, is a starting place for understanding who the Holy Spirit is, that He is God. Now, we have prepared a little booklet uh, at our resource center. If, you, if you're saying, I really need to study that further, I need to, to read a little bit more about that, these books are at our resource center. They're free, this little Understanding the Trinity booklet. But I want to start there because the most important thing to know about the Holy Spirit is that He is God. One of the greatest Christian theologians alive today is a man named J.I. Packer. And in his teaching about the Trinity, he suggests perhaps we should refer to God as the divine team. One God, three distinct persons. Now let's talk a little bit about God, the Holy Spirit, and his role in the Advent. The Gospel of Luke is particularly uh, filled with teaching about the Holy Spirit, and that is especially the case in the Advent Christmas record, the first chapter or two of, uh, of the Gospel of Luke. And the first thing we, we see that the Holy Spirit has done is that the Holy Spirit prepared the way for the Advent, and He did this through prophecy. The Holy Spirit had been at work to prepare for the Advent, and by the way, Advent just refers to coming the coming of Jesus. The Holy Spirit had prepared the way for the Advent for centuries and for centuries. The prophet Isaiah lived between 700 and 740 B.C. His writings can easily be dated to that time period. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. 
Over 700 years later, we see this fulfilled as the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, a virgin betrothed to Joseph, and tells her that she's going to bear a child. Likewise, in the passage you'll see from Micah. Micah was a prophet that lived roughly 700 years before Christ, and he gave a prophecy about this obscure little town, Bethlehem, too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah, but from you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, one's going to come who will be a ruler in Israel, and he's not talking about any ordinary ruler or king. This is one whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And then as we get to Luke chapter 2, we see God has so orchestrated events that Caesar Augustus has called for everybody, the whole world, to come and be registered. And so Joseph's got to go up to the town of Nazareth, to the city of David, for this um, census, because he was the house of the house and lineage of David. And it happens that Jesus, the baby, is there born in Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy. So the Holy Spirit has been setting the stage for this for many, many hundreds of years. And by the way, the Bible is filled with prophecy like this that is fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that makes the Bible unique among religious books in the world. It's one of the strongest evidences that Scripture really is inspired by God. These prophecies, detailed prophecies about Jesus' birth, about his crucifixion and his death, hundreds of years before they took place. The Holy Spirit prepared the way. He not only prepared the way through these prophecies, the Holy Spirit prepared and worked in the people who would be involved in the advent of Jesus Christ. So we read through the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and on into the second, we see the Holy Spirit preparing specific people who had a role. John the Baptist was to be born, and his birth was described in Luke chapter 1, but the description was given to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and he and his wife Elizabeth were elderly. They had no children, and yet the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah when he was in the temple. People were praying. He was burning incense, and the angel Gabriel told him, you and your wife in your old age, you're going to have a son. You're going to give him the name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He must not drink wine or strong drink, likening him to the Old Testament Nazarite vows, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. A baby filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb? If you're ever looking for a passage that stresses the personhood of the child in the womb, this is just such a passage. Secondly, we see the Holy Spirit working in Mary in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel also came to her and told her she was going to bear a son, and she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I don't have a husband yet. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Again, we see the personhood of the child in the womb. And we see the mighty Holy Spirit is the one bringing about the advent of Jesus. Now, Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah. The elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were going to have a baby. It was going to be born before Jesus. This was going to be John the Baptist. And um, so Elizabeth is now pregnant. And it happens that Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. So the young Mary, who's now pregnant, goes to visit the elderly Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. We see the Holy Spirit filling her, empowering her to speak these words. And then Zechariah. The elderly father of John, John the Baptist, later in Luke chapter 1, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And if you read this part of Luke chapter 1, you read this beautiful, beautiful, inspired, prophetic message by Zechariah about what Jesus is going to do. We'll look at this, that passage a little more tomorrow night on Christmas Eve. Then if we moved into Luke chapter 2, we'd see that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to uh, the temple in order to present him to the Lord. Took him to Jerusalem as, this, as uh, the Old Testament instructed them to do, to present him to the Lord. And there was a man there named Simeon. And the Bible says this about Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that, that means he's waiting for the Messiah to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. That is the sixth time, I believe, in these few verses we have seen the phrase, the Holy Spirit. So do you see how the Holy Spirit is at work in the advent of Jesus, preparing people? bringing to pass God's great plan, bring to pass the will of God. The lesson for you and me is that it is the Holy Spirit who prepares us to be involved in God's plan, in God's work, in God's purposes. He can do that which is impossible for us to do, humanly speaking. And that leads us to this final point I want to make about the Holy Spirit. And that is that the Holy Spirit prepares the way and the people for Jesus' second advent or Jesus' second coming. Because just as he prepared the people involved in Jesus' first coming, so he is at work to prepare God's people for the return of Christ. Do you know that throughout the history of the Christian church in the Advent season, which starts four Sundays before Christmas Eve, we have the Advent wreath lighting and these other, other things. Throughout history, the Christian church has often during this time looked ahead to the second coming 
the second advent of Jesus. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote one other New Testament book, and it's the book of Acts. Like the Gospel of Luke, he addressed it, he wrote it for his friend Theophilus, whose name means lover of God. So I'd like to look just for a moment at the beginning of that book and see the appearance of the Holy Spirit here as he's at work to prepare people, God's people, God's people of all ages for the second coming, the second advent. The book of Acts begins with these words, again, written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So it seems now that every follower of Jesus is going to have the power of the Holy Spirit available to them. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own power, but you will receive power, as we go on for there, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, this is Jesus who said these things. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels, I think. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, there will be a second advent. There's going to be a second coming of Christ. We don't know when it will be. But the clear teaching of the New Testament is that every follower of Jesus is to live with readiness and alertness for that day, for that time. And it is the Holy Spirit who prepares you and me for that day, for that time. How does he do that? How is the Holy Spirit preparing you and me for the second advent, the second coming of Jesus? There are many ways, but just to mention three. One, he gives to Christians, those who know Jesus, the power to overcome sin. I think almost every Christian I've known, and I'm certainly included in this, has struggled at some point in life as a Christian with some recurring sin. Something you confess to God, and yet you, you fall into that again. You confess to God. You Listen, almost every Christian has, a, has some struggle like this. The key to overcoming recurring sin, any sin really, 
is reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he's the one who enables us to live in a way that glorifies Jesus. He's also the one that enables us to love other people. The Bible says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Apostle Paul in one of his writings to the Ephesians says that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means we're to desire, to desire His presence, His power, His full control in our lives. And then he immediately begins talking about marriage, and he says something that to me seems humanly impossible. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How many of you men who are married have found that to be a difficult command to fulfill regularly? Am I the only one here who finds that difficult? Okay. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit who tells you to keep your mouth shut when you want to argue, complain. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you restraint. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps you from... You know, self-centeredness. Can't do it in our own strength. The power to share the love and message of Jesus. We just read that in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, don't go out and try to evangelize the world in your own strength. He didn't say that. But, but the intent of his instruction was, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Power. The Holy Spirit gives us. In just a few minutes, we're going to have uh, some of our students, our youth come, an instrumental uh, group that's going to come and play for us uh, what I think is one of the most beautiful Christian Christmas hymns. It's O Holy Night. And the reason I love it so much is the words are so beautiful. It's a case with a, a lot of the Christmas hymns, the theology, the words are rich in, in meaning. I want to take a moment and just look at a few words from O Holy Night and see how these, these things the Holy Spirit does in us are, are addressed in, in just a few words of this beautiful Christmas, one particular Christmas hymn. By the way, uh, these verses... Um, apparently the hymn has been modified some throughout the years, but these verses were uh, added by John Sullivan Dwight in 1855. And we read these words, Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Remarkable words for 1855, so important. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise His holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise His name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Loving one another, breaking the bonds of injustice, power to praise His name, power to proclaim who He is, this all comes from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit given to every believer, every follower of Jesus to do his work, his will, his way. 
as we draw to a close. Just three questions I'd like to raise by personal application. The first and most important is this, is the Holy Spirit indwelling me? That is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? You may sense that there's a need in your life that is not met, it cannot be met, humanly speaking, a need for forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation with our perfect holy God. It's the Holy Spirit who brings you to that place. It is the Holy Spirit that leads you to faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's important to ask whether you're obeying the command of the Apostle Paul to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you today, are you seeking His fullness? Are you desiring to go about life not just in mere human uh, ability, but in the power of the Spirit? I've got a note taped over my, my desk where I study most in it. I just made myself a note to say, uh, seek to be full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit today. And then finally, how is He preparing me for the second advent of Jesus? If Jesus, we knew, was going to return in one month, what would we want the Holy Spirit to be doing in our lives? It's preparation for that time. How's He preparing me? Let's pray about that as we prepare to close this morning. Father, how we thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the details You've given us in the writings of Luke about what You did in preparation for the coming of our Lord Jesus. We thank and praise you. And I pray that each and every one of us here will come into a closer walk with the wonderful Holy Spirit, that you, Spirit of God, would fill your people with grace, with power to overcome sin, to love one another, and power to be your witnesses. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.